guys. I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mitch Rap podcast. So what are you up to this day, Mike? Not much. Been a relaxing weekend. It's getting cold out, but try to fire up the fire pit in the yard tonight. How about you? I know you've had a lot going on, wrapping up and getting your thesis done. Yeah, I finally submitted that on Friday. That was a big, big relief. Sent it off to my committee. A week from then, I defend my thesis in front of a lot of people because it's going to be virtual. So my my boss has been sending out the the Zoom link to everybody. But um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to being done, getting it over with. Yes, sir. You deserve it. You worked <laughs> hard so. at that. Many, many years. <laughs> Too many years. Yeah. Hey, well, this is where we always shout out our patrons, and we thank you for supporting this podcast. But we also want to shout out all of our listeners. We are very appreciative of you guys tuning in every week, interacting with us on Twitter, social media. And the biggest way you can help uh, give back and help out this podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcast player. If you could, it would mean a lot just to go in, leave us five stars, maybe write a short review if you're enjoying this podcast. So open up that Apple Podcast app. It's always nice reading those. So very much appreciated to all our listeners. Yes, yes. Shout out to everybody. All right. What are we covering today, Chris? Well, today we're going to be covering the second half of our discussion on the fifth book in the Mitch Rapp saga and the sixth book in the Vince Flynn universe, and that is Memorial Day. Uh, last week we we discussed uh, the be- beginning of the the first book, um, covering all the way up to just just past the middle, where I think we left off and everyone had just foiled the big what they thought was the big nuke plot, mm-hmm. um, capturing the first nuke, um, and yeah, we're going to cover the rest of it and give you our final ratings, uh, high praise, a lot of flowers for this book, um, uh, talk about our winners and losers, and our much-anticipated cover si- uh, situation for this novel. Oh, yes. I always look forward to that with you. Yeah, uh, that's one of my one of the highlights of doing these pods. <laughs> so All right. let's dive right into it, though. This second half of the book opens up with the terrorists in action. And it turns out, Rap was right. There's got to be more to this plot. There's a backup plan. So, uh, to give you a little quote of what Al-Yamani is working on, Vince writes, Everything Al-Yamani had put together was now in jeopardy. But at least he had been careful to keep the mission compartmentalized. The left hand did not need to know what the right hand was doing. The Americans had dealt him a serious blow, but this operation was far from over. Al-Yamani didn't travel all the way to America with his hopes pinned on just one plan. He was a military tactician, and the best strategies were always multi-pronged. All about compartmentalization. That's a, it's a, it's a key, right? Making sure, like like Hydra, you chop off one head and two, two appear. You know, I've been watching a lot of Marvel movies lately, so... <laughs> Well, I was going to connect it to total power with the redundancy of the grid, you know, yes. being balkanized. But then also another thing about total power that Kyle gets right, that's very much in Vince's style, is to show how the enemy is adapting. Yes. Yeah, and I think he even mentions at one point, or Alumani mentions through Vince's writing, that 
you know, he was okay with just having an attack like in Charleston if the, the nuke just went off in Charleston or like uh, sort of offhand. And I think it's implied that the second nuke, if like, let's say the they can't get into Washington, they can't explode it into the president, you know, kill the president, then they're just going to take it up to Baltimore. Yeah. Um, you know, just any sort of attack of that magnitude would would wreak havoc on the economy and, you know, instill this fear in, in, you know, real terror, terror, terrorism. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, well, we start off this second part by, we're introduced, you know, very quickly to this guy, Joe Gomez. He's just a truck driver. He thinks is a weird delivery to a construction site because it's granite and nothing's really, nothing's really happened at the construction site, but you know, and then he quickly, he thinks he's going to make it home for his son's baseball game, but instead he passes out. Um, we find out later that he actually died of acute radiation poisoning um, because in his load, um, being uh, shielded by the granite, is nuclear material for a second nuclear weapon. So this is interesting because obviously this is highly, you know, this guy dies pretty quickly. He was probably driving in front of it for, you know, from Mexico to Atlanta I think, like, you know, we know that Al-Yamani is dying from his symptoms of being exposed to radiation, and it's like, how this, the I don't really know the science of, like, you know, how quickly you're exposed to it and what you can get away with. Like, Zubair is super freaked out about, you know, this yeah. unshielded uh, nuclear material. He even, you know, tries to go on these, like, great lengths to try to, uh, you know, prevent himself, you know, buying all these... Uh, lead aprons and and lead weights from uh, discarded elevators they go to all these lengths to then shield the material because if if they don't then apparently there are these sensors that are going to pick it up if they get close to the city right yeah i found that interesting and i was trying to find a little bit more about it but reimer in charge of the doe is really confident that any trucks carrying you know nuclear material or radioactive material would be picked up I guess that includes major bridges coming into D.C. Like Reimer was really confident that the sensors were strong enough. And I just never considered because I crossed the D.C. border into both Maryland and Virginia, you know, weekly, right? To go to work, I'm doing it every day, um, driving over the bridges. There's just a lot of ways in and out. And so I was just wondering how accurate that is that the DOE chief would be confident that road sensors could pick up material in a truck. Um, But Zubair is shielding it, so... Yeah. Again, Al Qaeda is adapting by hiring a scientist and actually using educated Western educated people to um, to help them finish the mission here. Yeah, I tried to Google some, you know, more information on the uh, like sensors, what they look like. I'm, I'm I couldn't find much. I'm guessing that's uh, purposeful so that sure. way people can't uh, circumnavigate these sensors. But yeah, that was interesting to me. I couldn't find a lot on roads, like you were saying, but I found uh, a helicopter. And they're going to use it, actually, I think, in just the coming weeks to get ready for the inauguration. I saw that uh, Department of Energy radiation sensor on this helicopter. They inform citizens and residents that they're going to be flying low in a grid pattern over the city. So they're kind of doing that in advance of the inauguration. So I I think that would be the typical way, you know, you would do it. But uh, apparently Vince is writing that there's sensors at the bridges and stuff, which would be pretty neat to learn more about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Zubair has met up with Al-Yumani, as we mentioned. He's, uh, they have this nuclear material. He's been able to shield it. They meet up with two other of 
Ayumani's accomplices, and they begin to make their way north. Um, and I think eventually they end up, they drive to Virginia, where they're going to meet up with yeah. their final accomplice, who's, you know, going to give them, he's been holding this material for the fire sets and, and the, uh, in order to actually create an actual bomb, right? They'll assemble it somewhere in Virginia yep. on the way to D.C. Yep. Well, that's uh, the terrorist storyline and how they're prepping and getting ready for this second wave attack or this backup attack. And meanwhile, a lot is happening in D.C. So yes. we have a we have a couple of storylines going on. Um, one of the main ones is Steely. Peggy Steely is still trying to advance her career. If you remember, she was the hotshot lawyer working for the attorney general. Well, she has been asked to liaise with the FBI and the counterterrorism teams at the JCTC. So she meets up with Skip there and they 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 butt heads a little bit, but Skip working for the FBI and you know being a true bureaucrat now, he knows how to handle her and and kind of in, play in the, the moment. Game. In the moment, he plays the game. He doesn't go too hard or aggressive. The problem comes when they go to interview one of the terrorists they picked up at the Charleston dock. If you remember, yes. a truck driver came to pick up the shipment, and thanks to Rap, you know, not causing a panic and not having them close down the port, they're able to apprehend the drivers. Well, unfortunately, before Skip and Steely can get too far, a lawyer comes in. He has already gotten protection from Tony Jackson, whose nickname is Mouth of the South, a hotshot civil rights attorney who tells his client not to speak. He won't be answering any questions, and he's very disappointed in the JCTC for already trying to, to ask questions of his client. Right. Well, unfortunately, you know, this is going to slow things down in getting intelligence, which is desperately needed right now. Yeah, this whole action of you know, giving, and I guess these two guys are American citizens. So giving these two American citizens their right to have an attorney really sends Mitch off. Like this is one of the focal points in the second half of the novel where he's like, I can't believe, you know, you, you're allowing these terrorists to have, you know, they've been implicated in a nuclear weapon. They were literally about to pick up a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Like, I just thought, like, why? I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know, like, due process. Uh, like, but if I was told, like, wouldn't the FBI just tell the lawyer that these guys picked up a nuke? I guess you can't do that. FBI, I, I don't. So I don't think so. Like, you hear about due process being suspended in national emergencies or um, threats to homeland security, but that's all like CIA stuff. I feel like FBI, they still play by the book, and that's why Skip's hands are tied here. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's true, though, as American citizens, does terrorism mean the Constitution and due process doesn't apply? And if so, how do you define terrorism is picking up a shipment that you maybe possibly did not know what was in it constitute as you were involved in a terrorist plot? So who knows? Don't they deserve due process and their day in, in court? I, I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that's going to – well, we know how rap feels, right? So, yes, yes. I mean, here's rap uh, talking to Irene about it. He says, Irene, you know me. I could give a rat's ass about politics and 99% of the crap that goes on in this town. But come on. These guys were involved in a plot to set off a nuclear bomb in Washington. And I'm being told by the FBI that I can't talk to them because they've got a lawyer? And Kennedy, of course, says, you know, I don't like this any more than you do, but now that it's public – you know, this is how it is. And Rap has an idea. He says, I'll tell you how to handle it. We take away their U.S. citizenship. 
Based on the fact they came to America with the intent of launching a terrorist attack, then we put the screws to them until they give up every damn accomplice and piece of information we need. So he's going to pitch that to the president. Can't we just revoke their citizenship? Again, not a lawyer, but man, that seems pretty extreme to me. Rap has a certain way of doing things. And that he does. That's that's what he wants done, you know. Hey, he it's is just, effective. Um, He's effective. It sort of also is a side note to the idea of like, you know, does torture, is torture justified? And it's something we can talk about later, but, and we talked about in, in last book, but obviously like to this point, rap has been able to gain a lot of information through his ways. And, you know, we're going to highlight a scene in just a little bit where, you know, rap explains bl- very bluntly to the president, you know, how he was able to get the information to save his life and, and lives of many. Right. Yeah. That's it. Deep questions, man. He asks deep questions. So, you know, Rap Rap is back. He's pissed. They meet with the president and the national security team in the White House, and we we learn that potentially this nuclear material is of Soviet design, right? And this then sends a trickle effect to actually working with uh, Russia in order to determine, you know, where this came from and is because Reimer is now thinking that there's something else, like. This was too, one, I think he's like, this is too easy. Second of all, they know that there exists, like, I think he says, like, 12 or 19 potential, because these were all, the the material that they were able to get were from failed test um, trials over in Russia, right? So Yeah, and that's because they found another map, a map of the North Caspian Sea. Yes. In the uh, in the raid in Pakistan. And so now that they're going through all this intelligence, like, what the hell is here? And I think it's someone is able to confirm with the Russian government that, yeah, in the you know, Soviet Union, we had a test site in southern Kazakhstan on the Caspian Sea, you know, back then Soviet Union, and some nuclear material is unaccounted for. We thought we buried it deep enough. It would take an army of men to come dig it out without us knowing. Well, it turns out Al Yamani had that network and he was crossing yes. the Caspian from Iran and and um, collecting that material. So there's more. Yeah, so it's it's just past this meeting in the White House where, you know, rap goes off the handle. He's yelling at Steely, can't believe you gave them lawyers, yada, 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 that he then goes meets privately with the president and Irene, and I think Jones is there too. And there's these two quotes that I just wanted to, to read where, you know, rap sort of lays it in to the president, right? He says, first, next time a group of Islamic radical fundamentalists try to blow up Washington, Washington D.C., you might want to consult your entire national security team, including the director of the CIA, and place a little less emphasis on the advice you, you receive from your attorney general, who, by the way, is looking to make a name for himself so he can be your running mate in the upcoming election. You know, so the guy's motivations are not 100% genuine. He he is doing what he's doing because he's we know that what Stokes' end goal is, right? Yeah. The president, you know, sort of fires back. There's this sort of weak line where he says, you're on thin ice, you know, acting like a father to Mitch, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> but then this is one of my favorite quotes in the books. I, I, both me and you highlighted it where he says, Mr. President, you sit here in a vacuum with all these sycophants and so-called experts running around you, advising you, but they never stop to realize that you came within a whisper of being incar- uh, incinerated by a nuclear bomb, Right. And he tells her, tells him that, you know how we found out that information about the nuclear material? Well, we pulled five prisoners out of that, out of that village and none of them were willing to talk. And, and by the way, I only brought back three of them, right? Or two of them. Uh, 
And he says, I got them to, to talk by, I started with a guy named Al Hurry. I put a gun to his head. And when he refused to answer my questions, I blew his brains out. I executed the bastard. And I didn't feel an ounce of shame or guilt. And then he says, he moved on to the next terrorist, blew his brains out too. And the third guy in line started singing like a bird. You know, so this is this is Rap's way. But, I mean, he gets the job done, right? And this is his whole point, right? That you need, in order to gain actionable material, you have to be willing to, to take certain steps. Yeah. Um, I'm not the one to condone those certain steps, but, you know, I, I do think there has to be some sort of give and take in these kind of situations, right? Well, Rap needed to do that because that conversation privately with the president came right at a time where the president was resting on his laurels. You know, he yeah. was pushing uh, Kennedy out of some of these conversations or sidelining her. He was much more likely to listen to the attorney general about due process for the terrorists. Let's make sure we look good in the public, you know, in, in the in the media, the, the public eye. And he was even starting to not really listen to Reimer and the people at the DOE, you know, scared about more nuclear radiation out there. It's a wake up call, right? Whether or not you agree with Rap and his way of maybe you might say abusing the Constitution, you at least agree with him in coming in at the right moments and at the right time, calling a spade a spade and saying, Mr. President, you still have to be a leader. You know, these yeah. people, the director of your CIA should be in on the conversation. Don't just have these political politicos in your ear you know, completely swaying you one way. And so um, it's a wake-up call the president needs. I think it's also, you know, Rap and Irene sort of shield the president from a lot of these things, right? Yeah. And, you know, he typically doesn't know what, you know, he just cares about that they found the nuke. Um, but I think he needs to hear these things. Obviously, yeah. he probably knows what Mitch does. You know, he knows vague dealings of, of Mitch Rap, but actually hearing and he does this in front of jones too who yep. this actually is what gets her in trouble because she then is like oh we can use this information to get rap out um and which rightly the dnc fights back against he's like if you want to stay in this fucking town you you need to cool it on trying to get rap out of town which i kind of liked of holmes yeah well valerie jones chief of staff and peggy steely in the ag's office start going off on rap like Privately with the DNC, they start mouthing off. They're gonna, yep. they're gonna get him. They're gonna get the president to fire him. They're gonna make sure he never gets to see the White House again. It's like Jones and Steele think their political agenda can run everything, and DNC Holmes tells him, "Slow your roll. Like you don't want to go up against Rap. And if you do, I'm done with our little meetings. Right. I'm done with our little, you know, plans." He lays it out that people on both sides of the aisle agree with with Rap, and obviously. Both, it was a joint venture between a bunch of ser ter a bunch of ter terrorists, a bunch of senators in the past to start the Orion team, and so you know, it, there's no way Rap's going anywhere, and these these guys would be idiots to think that they could, you know, take him down like that. Yep. You know, this is the point of the book where everything starts ramping up. So yes, the stage has been set. We're back with the terrorists. From here to the end of the book, I would say maybe the final quarter, 25%, is absolutely incredible. I love this whole sequence. So The pacing is great. The, the pacing is perfect. There's, there's action that's both drawn out, like action you really want to savor over the course of five, ten chapters. But then there's also action that's nonstop, where every page, every sentence, you're on the edge and can't put it down. 
So you get a nice blend of pacing that's really quick and pacing that's slower, but still hooking you. And what I mean by that is the terrorists are in Virginia. They just met up with one of Al Yamani's other accomplices in Richmond. And they have the truck, you know, the truck which has the shielded nuclear material. The cops pull them over and Al Yamani is watching from behind in a second vehicle. And he sees this cop. Uh, talking to the drivers, and he's about to check their licenses. Well, Al Yamani decides to kick things into gear, revs the engine, guns down, uh, drives through this cop, knocks him over, him and the truck take off, and now we have a manhunt. So the officer is able to call it in. He's able to get on the radio that there's a hit and run. Al Yamani's listening on the police scanner, so he's able to direct the truck away from the police roadblocks and barricades. But we have a massive manhunt across all of southeastern uh, Virginia. And Yamani decides, we got to lay low. You know, they're casting a wide net, got to lay low. They eventually head into a coastal neighborhood uh, up on the York River. So an easy way to access the Chesapeake Bay. And they pull up to a house. They get the truck into the garage, they are going to hide and they're going to stay low. And this is also going to give them a chance to assemble the nuke. Remember, they have the scientist Zubair. They're in the middle of a residential neighborhood. They've got everything hidden away in this garage. And they unfortunately uh, have to kill this, uh, this couple, I think is the, is it the woman or the, the man who's home? I don't remember exactly. It's the woman's at home, and then the man arrives and he ends up having a heart attack. And then they yep. end up killing the the woman later on. But yeah, this, this scene was interesting, and obviously, originally, before they had to sort of divert and kill that cop, or run the cop over, and they were going to go find a boat. But then they figure mm-hmm. they, they use this opportunity, they're right driving along the York River, and a lot of these houses just have boats. So the terrorists are thinking on the fly, improvising, um, but it's all the, I like how rap, uh, rap, I like how Vince puts all these little there's a reason why Rap and Co. are able to catch them because, you know, they slip up and they have to cause an accident with the cop, but they don't kill him. So he's able to give them information about him, which allows them to narrow their search. Yeah. Uh, they realized where they were and the cops had the ability to find them if they went one way. So they have to be in like this one area. So, yeah, I like the, the these little, you know, nuggets, which, you know, are slowly you're it, it, it's not like at the end, like rap just thinks, oh, like we found the people, you know, he's it's a logical progression in terms of how we find these terrorists. Yeah, I mean, rap and skip also kick the manhunt into gear and start working with the local authorities because Reimer finds this dead or it's reported that there's this dead truck driver who just checked into a hospital, um, I think still down near Atlanta. Turns out the hospital reported there was acute radiation uh, symptoms, like you said. That's when Reimer says, crap, there is a second device. Calls in, rap, and skip. So now you've got the whole entire thing. You've got the feds. You've got the CIA. You've got all local authorities and state police in Virginia casting this net. So, yep, they've narrowed it down. They pretty much know the area they're looking for, but they're still looking for a truck. Yes. And the terrorists are taking their time to assemble the weapon. And load it onto a boat. So I don't think the authorities yet and RAP have figured out they're coming by boat up the Chesapeake and into the Potomac River. They're still kind of checking the roads. Right. So it's this next part where we get this sort of adventures of 
uh, Skip McMahon and Mitch Rapp, which I kind of liked. And, you know, we get to see a different side of Skip. Um, he, you know, he's a FBI guy, very by the letter of the book. But here he, you know, he goes along with Rapp to find this guy who has a lawyer, Al Adele. Um, they go to the jail he's being held at in Virginia and pick him up. And originally they were, their plan was to take him to Akram and using Akram's ways, get, hopefully get information out of him. But as soon as Reimer sort of informs him that their one is, is a second nuke, that sort of speeds everything up. And then, oh, because of when they go to the jail, um, there's a slip up. The security guard actually lets the attorney know. Yeah. Uh, that then speeds up everything. So Rap has to think on the fly and act quickly. And well, he the attorney. Goes to, yes, sorry. The attorney slipped the business card to the guards. I love right. that little detail because, like, Rap and Skip are like, "Yo, cut the cameras." They know a guy. They're like, "Don't tell anyone we're here." This this guard is willing to like let them in, slip under the radar. But then another one of the guards remembered this lawyer, and the lawyer was like. Hey, if you help me take care of my client, you know down the road I'm going to need some private security work done. Right. So give me a call if you ever want to get a nice cushy contract, do some private work for me. Just don't let anybody near my client. And unfortunately, that guy calls the lawyer, and so Rap and Skip got to uh, got to speed up. They got to speed it up, and they do that by this is a, this is kind of interesting scene. They they throw him in the pool. They well first he's given a stimulant which like is supposed to heighten his like fears and stuff like that. And then throw him in the pool. Uh, apparently a lot of people from, I didn't know this, like people, I guess, I guess I should know that because I have a friend who's from Saudi Arabia and she couldn't swim. But I guess in that culture, it's just not, you know, something that like everyone in America pretty much learns how to swim. Right. So this guy doesn't know how to swim and rap uses it to his advantage to gain information. And this is where they find out one it was, it's sort of a bomb drops. Like, a literal bomb uh drops that the bomb they did get was not intended for the dc it was actually intended for new york city and that the second bomb out there is the one that's intended for uh washington dc right yeah they thought the first one coming into charleston driven up the coast could get to dc but no it was going to go all the way to new york while while the terrorist is in the pool though you, you got to point out rap can use anything as a weapon he uses the pool skimmer to hold him underwater, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he pushes he him down with the skimmer. <laughs> that, that was I was like envisioning that in my head, and that was that was a pretty funny scene. Yeah, although hearing that the second nuke is intended for DC, one of your first calls is Jack Warch. I think it's Kennedy who immediately gets in touch with him, says, "Hey, new new intel is DC is the target. Immediately, they're in Virginia." get the president out of there. And so yeah. this is the second time, right? They institute a continuity of government plan. And it's not quite not quite a continuity of government. That's right. This it's one's more nuanced. Yeah. Nuanced, yeah. yeah. This was a smart play. Was it I think it's Rap's idea. He tells yeah, I, he tells Irene and Warch, he goes, "Hey, this is what we're going to do." And this is where they talk about golf, right? Yeah, which, which his, you his Rap's plan is that to sort of because they already did the one thing they can't just do it you know a drill again or, or whatever the press would shit the bed the president and the british prime minister and the russian president are supposed to go back to camp david to to squeeze in another round of golf a typical chris move you know um and that's going to be the way because camp david is obviously is a secure site right uh so it's on the way to this meeting where he's calling warch and meanwhile everyone else 
has found out that rap's been doing rap and skip have been doing this stuff and they think that they're they have it now they have they already had this information about what rap has done they thought they're steely and co or they're going to be able to we get, can nail tell him. the president we can nail them and so much so that rap and skip purposely tell their bosses do not tell any information about the second nuke what we figured out let them sort of mm-hmm. you know lay Shoot themselves dis- in the foot exactly exactly yeah. dig a hole and then I love rap is like, are you done? Yep. <laughs> and, yep. Yep. And then they they lay it all out, and the president is like, "All right, good idea, rap." And then he he goes with rap and decides like we're going to Camp David, right? Yep. Yep. There's another scene where, or there's a couple of scenes where I love Peggy Steely's world falling apart, yep. where she realizes late, you know, she's late to the game that this evacuation is happening and that a nuke can go off. But they made her one of the last ones to call. So she's rushing, you know, to get out of the house and pack a bag. And, like, she's wearing, you know, I don't know if it's pajamas or whatever, but casual clothes. She can't grab her makeup or any of her stuff. And so she's going to be the most disheveled and uh, unkept one who arrives at at Camp David. Yeah. There's another scene where, like, she shows up and because she doesn't have people yet. You know, because she's like, oh, at least the president, you know, we're both looking disheveled. But his, the steward walks in and brings him a new suit. And she's yep. still like wearing, you know, her crappy, you know, not crappy, but, you know, obviously looks disheveled. Right. Yeah. Uh, yep. These the little the little nuanced things that that Vince puts in are, are very, yep. very nice. Compare that to her opening in the beginning when she was described as like this whirlwind. She will come in and just like destroy everybody else's world <laughs> yes, and, and turn yes. everyone else upside down. And now she's being the one turned upside down while rap and the president are saving the world, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. Man, so the action's already been pretty hot so far, but it only gets better. I think yeah, this this yeah. last like, you know, from chapter 84 on. It's unreal. It's just I was listening to it by audiobook and like every chapter is only like four minutes and I listen to it on, on, you know, 1.75 speed. So it's just going fast. Bam, boom, 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 boom. And yep. it's, it's really good. I mean, this was the part, I think it's probably like midnight, 1am <laughs> where I hit about this point and I'm like, nope, I'm staying up. That's it. I'm getting to Gotta the do end. It. Doesn't Gotta matter. Do so it. I think I'm reading this at like two, 3am and I was like, not putting it down is <laughs> one of those, but yep. it's crazy. It's exciting. So the Nest team finally discovers that the house the terrorists were using did have radiation signs. And the, the way they got there was kind of a lucky break. Um, a woman who lives in the neighborhood saw a truck and the truck looked the exact same as um, her, her son. son's truck. And so when she turns on the news she's or she sees police chasing him, she's like, oh, no, what the hell did he do? And then it turns out it's part of a terrorist plot, and she and they they put it together, and so she calls and goes, "Yeah, I saw that truck. I thought it was my son's, but it must be this one on TV." And that indeed was the truck, and it was their neighbor's house where they stole the boat. So the Nest team is analyzing the radiation signatures. They know it's hot. I think Rap gets called and is like, "The bomb was here, but we don't see anybody. We just have this dead couple, and their son is here, and he's freaking out. And he's so upset." And Rap's like, "Give me a full." description of the scene like don't leave Mm -hmm. out a detail tell me everything and they're like oh nice suburban house big driveway garage all this stuff and then he thinks it's on the river and then one of them is like yeah it's right on the river behind the house and rap goes ask the son if he has a boat if his parents have a boat and the son's like yeah they have a boat and rap's like go to the docks now and the boat's not there 
And this is when he pieces it together, yeah. Yep, this is where it kicks into gear. He knows they're on the water. He knows they're coming up the Chesapeake. They call in uh, the choppers. On the fly, Rap's going to put together this plan. So he's in the air in one chopper. They're coming from D.C. They're going to start and move south along the west bank of the river, while another chopper is going to start in D.C. on the Anacostia River, which branches east, and they're going to come south on the east uh, bank. That way they can fly a little bit off the center of the river so the boat doesn't see them. They're kind of over land, a little hidden, but they can still have full view. Well, one of the choppers radios in that they see the boat. They ID it. And what's really cool is they know at this point about the size and the container it's in, and it turns out it's in a cooler um, attached to the back of the boat. And Rap sees the name of the boat. It's partially hidden by a cooler, and he says... Why is the name hidden? That's the cooler with the nuke. Comes in low, looks at it, that's them. Immediately, he calls a plan. Hey, they're headed northbound, about to go under the Woodrow Wilson Bridge. You know, the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, about five minutes from my house, is where 495, the Beltway, crosses the river. You have to cross it to get into D.C., and you're probably still a couple miles out. Right. So it's going to take six miles out. Six miles out, it's going to take them 15, 20 minutes, you know, on the river to get there. So Rap says, all right, one chopper is going to hover parallel to the bridge on the northbound side of it where they can't be seen. He takes his chopper to the foot of the bridge at uh, Jones Point Park, drops his men, drops a men off, some men off there. Does he drop a sniper there? Yeah, he drops or a, a team to watch. Yeah. He drops a sniper. And then so they're a little lighter. He gets ready to take off. As the boat comes under the bridge... The chopper that's parallel hiding behind the far side of the bridge is now perpendicular to the boat. And so Rap gets a perfect shot on the two guys um, steering the boat. And then the chopper moves horizontally. So the boat is going northbound. The chopper is perpendicular to it behind it, but moves horiz- moves with it and closes the gap just enough where uh, Rap can jump off from the chopper onto the boat. And that's where he's able to commandeer the boat and uh, take it to shore and rendezvous with the men in Jones Point Park, which is pretty cool because I bike ride through Jones Point Park all the time. And I'm like, shit, if I saw two choppers and one was kind of concealing itself behind a bridge and then this dude, you know, hanging out the window, shoots a guy in a boat, boards it, commandeers <laughs> it, I'd be like, this is insane. No, the this this whole description, like, this is probably my favorite part of the second half Raps able to one think um think of this plot or this uh, plan of action on the fly right, yeah. And using the one chapter, I think it's like a, the Park Service chapter to yep. come in like sort of a different way and then actually sort of draw the attention of the terrorists away from them, away That's from what it is, Raps yeah. Raps copter. And then he's able to you know this copter's like slowly inching out right. Like you said, if you were like right there in Jones Point Park and watching this like unfold, that'd be crazy. There's a bunch of dudes always fishing there. So, I mean, I, I'm just, sure it would be nuts. And it's Memorial Day weekend, so I'm sure that someone, exactly. some fishing dude there was, was watching this. Exactly. You know, it's important, though, that Rap doesn't shoot Al-Yamani. He boards the boat so he could talk to him. And Al-Yamani thinks he got the last laugh because he lets him know the bomb is armed. And um, there's nobody who can disarm it. It was yeah. Zubair the scientist, the only one who knew the codes and the wiring and set it up to disarm it, who apparently was pretty gone. good. He he put in all these fail safes. Well, Al Yamani killed him, or at least dumped him off the boat. 
I know, I wanted this scene to be, this was like I I love this scene but I wanted the meeting between Al Yamani and Rap to be better. I don't know. This was like my one letdown. Like I thought the cuz Rap like finds him down below. Obviously at this point he he he's really like quickly succumbing to his radiation poisoning at this point. Sure. Um it's like over the course of the book the rapid progression of it is is getting worse and worse and worse. So I don't know. I I felt like you know, like a scene in like a James Bond novel where they he finally meets up with with the bad guy at the end, and you know, he tells him like he just laughs that yeah. I, I don't know. I just wanted the dialogue to be a little bit better, and then Rap just shoots him because he knows that he this guy's dead anyway, so might as well take some frustration out. The extracurriculars then, were enough for me. I, I didn't I didn't yeah, need that okay. kind of drama person to person, you know, because everything else going on in the surrounding scene was 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 enough to keep me going. I didn't miss okay. that. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. The seals, though, so right on shore where he takes the boat, carefully remove the the cooler with the nuke. Unfortunately, they find the timer, and they estimate that they have little under an hour, and they really don't know if they can defuse it. And this is where Rap says, "I need percentages." Well, because there's the, like six firing sets on it, right? So exactly. And when the best team in the world, I think, gives them fifty fifty odds. Yeah. And they're in de- they're in the nuclear radius where you know they're obviously going to have massive. Rap says massive not fallout fifty fifty is not good enough. Fifty fifty is not cutting it, and he puts his plan into action. He starts asking, "Can I take it out to sea?" No, because the way the current's blowing, it'll just come back over shore. If I only have twenty yeah. twenty five minutes, I'm not going to get far enough out. And then Rap starts calculating the exact distance to a bunker. You yes. know. We heard about so many safe locations, and so far in this book, we've been thought, oh, this is where people go to protect themselves from a blast. This is where the government goes if they need to hide out from an attack. Well, Rap flips, flips that on its head and says, if they're nuclear-defended um, and protected bunkers, they can also contain a blast. He gets in a chopper, heading northwest to the Appalachian Mountains, and that's where Mount Weather is. In Bluemont, Virginia, beautiful like little town has nice wineries and vineyards, and you know, Rap is booking it, and he does the math: how many miles I have to go, how fast the chopper can go. He thinks he'll get there with maybe a couple of minutes to spare, and the blast doors take a good ten minutes to open. So he gets that in motion. He's like, "Open the blast doors, have a jeep ready for me." He lands that sucker right at the entrance of Mount Weather. Goes in the Jeep, brings the cooler with him, drives right to the elevator shaft, pushes the button, elevator drops into the abyss deep under the mountain. And uh, Rap didn't tell the guy he's with. Yeah, that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, the guy's like, what, what's, in the, what's in the cooler? He's like, what's in the cooler? Let's get it in the elevator and then I'll tell you. I'll tell um, you on our way out. <laughs> <floor yeah>. it. <laughs> no, that was the, the, the whole end uh, part of it was, was really cool. And it's interesting that he doesn't even realize... He doesn't feel anything. Reimer is the one who tells him, "Yeah, oh, we felt like we felt like we saw the seismic, you know, explosion. That's how like good this this thing. He, good Reimer's like, did it go off? And he's like, you, well, you would be able to tell better than I did. Or did so was there any know. like you know uh, secondary effects? So he even yeah. tells the other people on the chopper, he's like, close your eyes, duck your head. This might get rough. And then nothing right. happens. He's like, was it a false alarm? But nope, right. that thing went off in the mountain and was fully concealed. 
Minutes and we no despair. longer have Mount Weather. So I guess um, our yeah. prediction that the site that they went to in Total Power is not Mount Weather. It's something else. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Kyle, it seems, made that one up, the uh, that bunker. But I think it was very much in Total Power. But I think it was very much modeled on something modeled. like a Raven Rock or a um, Mount Weather for sure. Well, Flood even mentions that. You know, it, it's okay to get rid of Mount Weather because it was obsolete when exactly a year after it was completed. So exactly, like most of these Cold War era defense systems were. Right. Hey, rap while he's on the helicopter before the epilogue, because you know Flynn and his epilogues are always a treat. But he makes one other call. Someone we have not heard from this whole novel. Thankfully, you might say, but Anna is waiting for him. She's with her family. Uh, out on one of the lakes. Is it Minnesota? Uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. She's from Wisconsin. And um, she's been pretty disappointed. Rap hasn't been there. He calls her and just says, everything's fine. I'll be there in the morning. Right. And Kennedy. Kennedy gets to go on her vacation. Her She meets yeah. up with she Tommy was... and her family at the beach. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so we end, we end the novel on uh, the epilogue. Rap it as in-laws. This is, we don't actually even... I think we maybe have one line from Anna this entire novel. Really interesting. We're going to talk about this when we wrap up the book, but really interesting how Vince sort of shies away from the Anna-centric plot action that we've seen in the last couple books, right? So he's in Wisconsin, and then we end the novel by having this discussion between Rap and Irene about the terrorists and, you know, how how close they got to actually achieving their goal. Like, yeah, it was a win, but, like, that, that doesn't sit right with Rap. The fact that we, like... They literally, we had to drop a nuclear bomb in our own bunker to just save the day, right? In, I guess this is something we often don't get in movies, right? Where, oh, they save the day and that's the end of the book. Like, you know, but the actual ramifications to think about, yeah, we saved it, but they got really close and they're just going to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. And Rap is tired of all this bullshit with yeah. the political types um, you know, he, he goes, he goes to say like, I, I have, and Irene's been trying to get him to talk to the president. The president wants to actually out him, not out him, but say that he, how central of a role he played in, in foiling the terrorist attack. Right. So he tells Irene, I have no desire to talk to the president. In fact, tell him I'm already thinking of quitting again, rap constantly like this. That's a very through line that Vince has where every novel he wants, he's thinking about getting out. Right. And he says that if he mentions my name, that it's a done deal. I'm I'm quitting, right? And he can tell every last reporter in Washington that while the rest of us were trying to stop these terrorists, he was more concerned about election year politics and listening to people like Valerie Jones, Martin Stoke, and that steely woman from the Justice Department. I love Kennedy's response to all this. Yeah, what does she say? So she's listening to rap, bitch and moan, like, tell the president you better not use my name. Don't give me any accolades. He was, you know, he was a punk during all this, really. And Irene goes, Mitch, if there was ever a time to get him to declare open season on terrorists, this is it. And Vince writes, rap would push for everything he can get. Irene, I want carte blanche. Tell the president I'm going to hunt down every last son of a bitch who had a hand in this attack. And I don't want anybody from the White House or the Justice Department looking over my shoulder. A mental list was forming of who and what to hit first. Soon, the religious zealots would regroup and come at them again. The outcome of this war, Mitch knew, was far from certain. There was no walking away from this fight, 
no sidestepping it. There was only one way to wage it, head-on and with brutal and overwhelming force. Close the book. Yeah, I mean, it does a good, good, does a good job at uh, setting up, you know, the stage for the next couple novels. So, wraps on a mission. You know how some of these epilogues are rap hunting down the bad guy? Like you were talking about rap and Al-Yamani on the boat? Yeah. I, do, I think it would have been less effective to make that an epilogue closure of rap goes and finds Al-Yamani and goes, hey, how about that nuke you wanted to set off? Boom. Caps him in the head. This is so much more powerful by saying it wasn't just one man. It wasn't one terrorist. I want carte blanche. I want, I want to go hog on these people. And that's going to set up consent to kill instead of the closure being, oh, I killed one guy who was responsible. End of story. Right. It's like right. there is right. no closure because it's only going to launch rap on some more badassery in the future. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's our book. There it so is. we really liked it. Um, I just had a few questions to ask you, Mike, as I often do. General topics about the book. So the first one I was thinking of is we've sort of touched at it a little bit. What's your theory on the justified use of, of torture? This plays a central point in our novel. Obviously, this is key to not only gaining information for the first nuke, but also the second nuke. Obviously, it's here. It's effective. But does, should it exist? Uh, you know, what? It's interesting. We watched that the CIA spy masters, right? Yep. And they, in there, they say that a lot of the stuff that they gained from the black sites actually, you know, didn't didn't produce much intelligible stuff. And, and even like those psychologists who got paid a lot of money, yeah. uh, it, it felt to me watching, at least watching that documentary, it felt that they were a little bit like con artists, right? They, they didn't even at the end, they, they were sort of questioning their own, you know, trying to do anything in order to get actual intelligence to prove that what they were doing was the right thing and giving them actual intelligence. So I don't know. Well, what, what are your feelings about it and how, how well did it work in this novel? Well, I think for the sake of storytelling, it it's great. It's perfect, right? Because it makes you wonder, what the hell would you and I and the rest of America have thought if any one of these weapons went off, whether they hit their intended target, New York, D.C., whether they went off in the countryside and whatever, and we knew someone was sitting in a cell that had that information, right? right. Like, what if you knew someone was being defended by a lawyer and wasn't the FBI and CIA wasn't allowed to talk to them and get answers. And one of these nukes go off. So I think it's just great storytelling to give you a, a perspective on that. Does it line up with reality and how torture may actually produce intelligence that's actionable and timely for stopping an attack? Maybe not, right? Maybe that's not a realistic thing, but if it ever were, which is what good literature should do is address if this ever were the case, and I can see it being being really close to the truth at some point in the future if it's not, you know, all, if it isn't true all the time. Um, so it works. I think it works for the story. And I think it makes us love rap, our hero, and what he's willing to do. I The bigger issue for me is like this whole due process. Should we throw out the Constitution, particularly when it's citizens? Because yeah. it's kind of like the death penalty. How many times have innocent people been exonerated? either after the fact or on death row, you know, particularly with like DNA now. So it makes you question, like, do we always have the full picture? Do we always right. have right. the right intelligence? Is the intelligence true and accurate? So it gets really murky. So I'm on both sides, right? But I love how a good story can tease that out. And I think we get Vince's perspective on it. Yeah, and I like how 
you know, some people sort of write off these novels as, you know, just, you know, fun literature, but I feel like sometimes they can really get you thinking about our society, about our politics, about, you know, stuff that happens. And, you know, Vince obviously has his side and, and Kyle has his side that they're, I feel like both of them don't do it's uh, some other authors obviously like very overtly put their what they what they believe mm-hmm. but at least what I feel like in these novels is it allows you to think about it and it's a little bit you you can just gloss over it and just read it for what it is and it's it's a thriller novel but then you can also take it a step further dig into these questions and you know really think about it as a you know as it as it applies to you know reality real life so true so true Hey, let me ask you, um, thinking about characters here, Yep. what do you think? We talked about a few that we liked last novel, but but let me ask, what do you think about Al-Yamani as a villain and the team he's assembled, whether it's these college kids, right, living in America that are somewhat radicalized that he brings in, or a scientist that he flies in, or these truck drivers, he enlists a few, you know, Saudi American citizens to drive some trucks for him. What do you think about him as a villain and how he's operating on U.S. soil? Right, so I think that he's an okay villain. He's not the best villain we've had. Kind of, I, I would say he's on the weaker side of the villains. But obviously his plot was very good. So yeah, you know, he gets very close to um, getting his plot off, and it's very well thought out. I just, like I said, I, I mentioned before, I, I wanted a little bit more of... He almost seemed like a medium bad instead of like a big bad. You know, we <laughs> yeah. use that term like this big bad, and and, and you know, I don't know. He he seemed a little weak. And yeah. this is another thing that uh, to follow up on this, we didn't have a political, we didn't have a super big political big bad. And the yeah. beat, the political big plot, unlike previous novels, was not, at least to me, I, I didn't think held up as well as it has in the past. So I, I, the question I spin to you off of that is. How how did you feel about the political B-plot in this novel? Yeah, and I guess by that you mean the whole Peggy Steely, yeah, General Stokes. Stokes, and, you know, Jones. the DNC chair and Valerie Jones working behind the scenes. Yeah. There were, there were flashes of it that I thought were really smart, like when Jones as the chief of staff really starts sidelining Kennedy in the National yeah. Security Council meetings, and the president is kind of only listening to the other half of his of his cabinet – I'm starting to think, yeah, this is pretty like um, this is good stuff, but overall, um, wasn't my favorite part of this book. Um, Love the book so much that if I were going to come up with some small critique or losers section, this might be it. So yeah, the political scheming, it wasn't Hank Clark. It kind of made me long for a Hank Clark maneuvering with senators and congressmen and manipulating the media that. You know, Machiavellianism, you know, in Washington that we saw in the third option and separation of power. This wasn't it. This wasn't it. So I don't know if you really liked it, but um, it was probably the weakest link in this novel, which which is not saying much because overall this is outstanding. I think with both what this novel does is it takes both like the the terrorist, the big bad and then the political big bad and then tones them down a little bit and really lets the plot the actual, you know, terror plot lead the way. Yeah, it's true. Unlike in Transfer of Power where we have, like, I think Aziz is a great villain. You know, I think he's probably one of the one of the best villains mm-hmm. we've had. 
Agumani is not like that. No. And like you said, Stokes and, and Steely, are, they're not Hank Clark, right? So it's like they're more of a combination. And then the plot itself of this nuke and having to foil not one but two nukes, like it, it makes uh, – probably adds and makes for a better novel. You know, speaking of freeing up the story so it can breathe by lessening the influence of characters, how do you feel that played with Anna being absent and her voice largely being sidelined here? Does that also allow the events, the plot, and the storyline to kind of flourish in a in a in a brighter way? Not having her kind of holding Rap back or having Rap in the moment question himself is the story freer without her. I think Vince definitely wanted to take a new line here because that all three of the points we've just made, uh, Anna, Hank, like a Hank Clark esque character or a super intense villain, he had used those so often in, in the past six novels or five novels, whatever. Um, and he went a different different direction here. Almost completely avoids Anna. Rap thinks about her like three times, and he, we don't even see her in the scene in the epilogue. He's just there. Watching yeah. her water skate, right? And I think, you know, by bringing her away really allows Rap to flourish. Doesn't allow the stupid, you know, we, we even mentioned one of the stupidest things about Transfer of Power was the whole, you know, scene in the White House and, and getting her to sign this non-disclosure agreement. Like You're a journalist? Not, not hanging up. And then like the, in a couple of the other novels, it's like this relationship between him and being a journalist. And, and then obviously... One of the, I think one of the reasons why we hated the last novel was because the best part of it was all a foil just to lead up to an argument between Mitch and Anna, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it it's interesting to see the on the reread and really through this podcast we're digesting these books a little bit more than what we did when we first read them. We see that Vince intentionally leaves Anna out of this novel, yeah, and I think it's for you know a good a good cause, a good good reason. You know what? It doesn't replace that, but you know what is allowed to come into that space a little more with less on Anna and Rap's personal life? Mm -hmm. Irene's personal life. I really appreciated those couple of pages. Instead of hearing more about Anna and her background and BS, we got to see Kennedy like, I should be spending more time with Tommy. Tommy. And there's this family reunion. I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to take him out there. To see her kind of having to contemplate family time um, and, and the sacrifices she's making was more refreshing than hearing rap over and over talking about sacrificing his new relationship with Anna and, you know, his first year marriage and having that shift to Irene just was uh, refreshing and it didn't dominate. It was just, it was just touched on here and there, but it was an important thing to have in the background that really shows her sacrifices for what she does. But she also, in the end, thankfully gets to go to the reunion and meet up and uh, have some relaxing time. And Rap, meanwhile, is calling all the shots. So I like seeing that flipped on its head a little. Yeah. And I think just the the last point before we get to our our thoughts on this uh, half is I want to say like Rap almost takes a back seat. He doesn't quite take a back seat because he's obviously fully ingrained in the action and the torture and stuff like that. But it's it's a little bit different form of Rap here we see a lot more other characters and we even like this, we don't see Scott and in co in this. Yep. And yep. the only mention to Scott, it doesn't even mention him by name. There's like this little offhand sentence where 
he's on the helicopter and he has some people from the CIA's like special SWAT team. And yeah. he's like, oh, if I had more time, I, I would call like some would have called in the boys. contractors. And you, you know, he's thinking about Scott yeah. and, and the seal demolition company. Yes, exactly. Why? So do you think that's it? Do you think it was just time? This plot was moving so quick. Intelligence was coming in. They're having to make a plan on the fly. And that's why we don't see Coleman and crew and hack and Strobel or, do you think, again, that was a purposeful decision by Vince that he didn't want them to be there, the ones who saved the day with rap the whole time? He wanted um, Jack Warch or Skip McMahon to kind of play a role and, you know, the DOE team to get their page time instead of just having Coleman come in and, you know, clean up. Yeah, I think it's a concert decision to build the universe, have yeah. more players. I think things get stale if you keep using the same characters. It's like the same comp. You can think of like... I don't know. Again, I, I've been watching Marvel movies and, and comic books and, you know, why in like Captain America when he's having a deal with, um, I think it's in Winter Soldier, right? And there's these three hella characters mm -hmm. like, where is Iron Man, you know? Yeah. And when you're reading the novels, when you're reading like a comic book, oftentimes what they would do is there would be this little blurb that would say, you know, uh, Iron Man is... is away like doing something is off like, on another know, planet yeah exactly Whatever. exactly yeah. so this is like vince way of saying you know he, he really wanted to focus on rap and this these characters from the doe he wanted to yep. focus on the fbi and yep. skip you know because he even mentions that skip is going to retire so maybe, maybe this is yep. Yep. this might be one of the last like times we see song. skip for a while yeah. exactly I, yeah, I think that's the bulk of it, but I would also say the pacing just didn't allow for it, where rap was oh, yeah. acting was on very, intelligence very every, minute to minute, things coming in. Oh, and then there was also that conversation in Virginia of them wanting to rely on the local police. As yes. soon as you start bringing in these other parties that don't know the lay of the land, that don't know the locals, don't know the roads, I thought rap's thing here was also let's let the locals do their job and do it well, and we'll kind of be hovering you know, in the background ready to jump in when needed. Hey, so let's start wrapping things up with a couple of our favorites. Uh, I think we talked a lot about winners and losers, so we don't need to spend too much time. But we got to always ask, what's your favorite action scene now that we finish the whole book, Chris? So if I had to pick just this half, it would be the, the helicopter, uh, the takedown of, of, the, of the boat. Um, but I, I just still think that the, the Pakistan uh, scene from the first half is, is the best action in the entire novel. It's true. That raid was great. Uh, the The boat interception on the Potomac was just couldn't put it down. Like I said, middle of the night that kept me up. It was one of my favorite scenes. So, yeah, definitely my favorite of this half. Well, um, I think we'll both agree. Flynn is the winner here. This book yeah. is. You said uh, last time you really thought it leveled up his writing. I think it kickstarts the series uh, series into another gear. It definitely puts it on another plane. And we're going to keep riding that wave with Consent to Kill. So the biggest winner of this is Vince and where he takes these stories. I just think he's setting he's setting a new bar here. He's really up in his game with this one. Yeah, and I, it was hard to pick a loser. I, I didn't really have a loser. Obviously, we mentioned we don't really like the the B plot with the political B plot. But I guess I guess if you had to pick a loser, it's Anna because like she's the loser because uh, Vince leaves him out and yeah. realizes that. We don't need her as a character anymore, so. <laughs> yeah, and things free up and become a lot easier to, to, to work with without her in the background. Well, yes. that is a little foreshadowing there for next <laughs> month. All right, final All right, so, ratings. Chris, yep. what do you do give it. it? I give this 
my first solid A, a 9.4, 9.4, 9.5, whatever. Um, definitely, this is in the top five. I, when I was rereading it, I texted you and I was like, man, this book is so good. So good. And I haven't I haven't felt that way since we reread Transfer of Power. So. so true. Yep, I'm with you. I'm giving it a solid straight A, 9.8. I wanted to hit that 10 mark, you know, but... Uh, came as close as you possibly got to leave room that, for improvement. Got to leave room for more. So at nine point eight, this is easily in anybody who reads Mitch Rap in their top five. I oh for sure, for sure. I would find it hard to argue with somebody who's saying it's not in the top five. And <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. What are you smoking? And for me, I'm, I'm right now. I'm going to say it's my favorite in the series. It's number one now. After I get a refresher next month on Consent to Kill or down the road a few months, American Assassin, we'll see where I'm at. But this one has it all for me. So this one is is pushing, and I think it might hold on to that top spot. But Ooh, intriguing, intriguing. Yeah, we got a lot, a lot of more books to go. All right, so our much it's time. anticipated, it's, it is time, our favorites, I think my favorite section of, of these podcasts, the covers, okay? So we're recording this a little bit early because uh, of my thesis defense. Um, normally, we would have some polling data on what you guys think uh, is our, your favorite cover. So we don't have this this time, but... Yeah, sure. can I just jump in and show you a couple of unique things here? So Yeah, of course. Did you notice F and G were a little out of the blue? And for anybody, like Chris was just saying, we're, we're going to post this on, on the social media, but I found the Croatian version. Don't know why that popped up on Goodreads, but we've got the Croatian version, and I had to translate. Their title is Remembrance Day, uh, okay. which maybe makes sense. A lot of countries, particularly European ones, have a Memorial Day or a Remembrance Day as an alternate name. And then the Bulgarian version, again, don't know why, but it's one one that I found. And I kind of like this. The Bulgarian version translates the title to The Day of the Apocalypse. Oh, I like that. I like that title. Yeah. And then this one might be even better. I found the German cover. And okay. I didn't put it initially because it looks similar to the first edition of. Yeah, it's very similar to the first yeah, edition. The, the blue, you know, original cover with the CIA seal at the middle. But I didn't even realize the title's different. In German. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it translates to The Danger. That's a good and title. Yeah. So I'm like The Danger or Day of the Apocalypse. Both of those could have been pretty good titles for this one. So what is your, uh, out of all the covers that we post, what's what's your favorite? What's singing to you? What, what, what cover do you like the best? All right. All right. I you know, I like the OG, like I was just saying, cover A. It's got those nice blue tones, almost like a gunmetal-y kind of metallic blue. Uh, it's got the CIA seal in the middle with a tear going right to the core and the heart of it. And I love how the tear is also, it has these like metal sharp edges. Like, you know, if you open something with a can opener and you're kind of screwing with it and getting frustrated, at the end it's going to have all these little like, there's probably a name for them, but these little like sharp edges sticking out. I just think that's a baller cover. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. I also like the, uh, I think it's the rebrand when one of the rebrands and we've, it's often a running man. Um, but this time the guy is standing still in front of the Washington Monument. Standing uh, man. Standing man. But we have to talk about it. We always have one. There's always at least one. 
but this time it's a little different. It's a little different. So no power lines. They cut the power lines. Somebody must have been lines. listening to us, but, but they replace what did it. they replace it with, Chris? <laughs> they replace it with some barbed wire. Barbed wire in the middle of a field. <laughs> Again, it's like in Kansas or something. This is like the Midwest edition. They're trying to sell this on the Great Plains. I don't get it. It's a wide open field. No one around. A dude carrying a duffel bag next to barbed wire fence. Like keeping the cows at pasture or something. What's in that duffel bag? The only when thing I pack th- a duffel bag. So every time I see the the cover that I hate the most, I try to think what what were they thinking? Obviously, they didn't read the fucking novel, which really <laughs> frustrates me. But if I had to like place myself, what scene are they trying to get here? The only thing I could think about is like the scene where they're in Pakistan and they take the terrorists to like this farm. There's like pigs and stuff, and maybe that's the bag that. Um, or uh, interrogation has some, ter- has some interrogation stuff, you know that that that's the only thing I could think of. It's a stretch, not the scene that I would have picked. You know, you could have had something with like, I guess you don't want to spoil the whole thing of like a nuke. You, you don't want to have like a you know radiation symbol or whatever. But yeah, could have had like, some helicopters or the bridge, dude. Can you bridge. imagine the helicopters and the boat behind the bridge for the interception scene, the takedown? That would have been mm. nasty. We need, we need, we need, somehow we need to call, we need to team up with Kyle or somebody and, although his covers have been decent at least. Yeah, that's true. Some of his have been really If nice. we're not consulted on the next rebrand, if we're not consulted on the next rebrand, like, I'm going to be very, very pissed. <laughs> very pissed. At hey, me. you mentioned D is me, pretty nice books. though. So let's give him some, let's give him some, some cred because, you know, D is nice. Like you said, the standing man. He's a silhouette on the Washington Monument. He's flanked by these two American flags. I guess the bomb was supposed to go off downtown. The World War II yeah, memorial is not. Mitch far from is here. never at the Washington Monument. Though. I know that's he's my problem never at with the it. Monument. That's my problem with like they're nice and they look aesthetically pleasing, but he's never there. He's also got a pop collar. You see that? <laughs> What's with that? Yeah. I uh, I think most of the Running Mans have pop. They're they like usually trench have pop coats, pop yeah. collars. Right. Like that's right. Pisses me off. I don't know, man. The angle's kind of cool, though. It's kind of shot down below his feet, looking up, so you see the whole very imposing monument and the imposing silhouette. You know, pretty much dominating the monument. So it's artistically well. You know what? That always happens. We always have a cover we just like. It's good. We have one that we like the design and it looks really cool, but it doesn't match the story. And then we always have cover C. I'm just going to start calling it cover C. We're just going to shit on cover C every time. Either power lines or now barbed wire. So I can't wait for the next one. We're seeing some trends here. Great book, though. And that wraps us up. So you want to tell us, Chris, what we're covering next week on the podcast? A little collaboration going on. Yes, yes. We um very excited to announce we're going to be dropping a collaboration pod with our friend Brian from the podcast called Com, Coms Majors. That's um, a podcast where they break down movies, right? Yep. And Brian is a fellow Mitch Rapp ambassador and fellow podcaster. Yes. So Mike reached out to him and said, hey, would you be willing to team up uh, in the future? Um, hopefully we can get him back on when we do the American Assassin movie. Um, yes. But yeah, we figured we'd start it off. We, we had just released... Uh, two weeks ago, right, or a couple weeks yep. ago, interview with Andy McDermott and his short movie uh, Mitch Rap Off Book. 
So we're going to be watching that and discussing that with Brian. So excited to be bringing that to you guys next week. We've done a couple of films on the show, so maybe excited to get a, a real film critic, someone who has their own podcast about film reviews. So maybe that's something we can keep going in the future. Yeah. All right. So we, again, we did at the top. Let's do it at the end. We got to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Roman, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. Uh, we said it earlier, but again, please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us online at MitchRapPod.com or our Twitter handle at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.